On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. Mariana Diallo went to Yale, and while looking back, she realized that while a lot of her memories were happy on the surface, underneath there was a lot of discomfort attending an Ivy League college as a black woman. So, she started to write a screenplay about her experiences, and that screenplay became a horror movie. After finishing the screenplay, she continued to write in a frenzy, even writing and directing a horror short, Hair Wolf, that would win a jury award at Sundance, where it premiered. Once she had more investors, she came back to that horror script, one that she, in her own words, never fell out of love with. Of course, we are talking about Master, which just premiered at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival this year and is now streaming on Amazon Prime. So beware when the clock says 3.33, this is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. And hi there, I'm Brittany. We are the Grindhouse Girls Podcast, and this is episode 109, I want to say. 109, I think. Last week we had sidetracks, and this week we're covering Master. How are you, Brett? I'm okay. Uh, It's been busy, but uh, I think we are finally, like, in the low 80s during the high point of the day, in, like, the 60s in the morning, so we're finally heading the cooler part of the year i'm very excited yeah i can't wear my sweatshirt yet but i'm ready for a sweatshirt and uh like leggings like yoga pants yeah (laughs) i wore some this weekend because it rained all weekend labor day weekend but then i was getting like hot wearing them and i was annoyed because i'm like but then i know i'll be freezing yeah it's like december january and i'll be like i hate wearing the leggings so you can't win i somehow ended up doing fantasy football again Oh, nice. For, like, the fourth year. It's fine. I always tell the group, I like, hi, Anastasia and Dan, if y'all are listening. They roped me in to doing fantasy football many years ago because they needed just an extra person. And then I've continued to do it. And I'm the worst person in our league. But sometimes I win games. So, and some years I luck out. But I packed my team with a lot of Cincinnati Bengals because that is my team and we did go to the Super Bowl last year which was the first time I really liked football pro football because 
I've watched every single playoff game. And I know Joe Burrow is like, I think he's on injury hold right now. But he was at the beginning of last year and then he took them to the Super Bowl. So, you know what? It's fine. So I guess moving on to Masta. Oh, I was about to say, do you have any housekeeping notes? I don't. Okay. I don't have any. I think we covered all the housekeeping on sidetracks last week. And uh, so I do have one housekeeping note. So we we have a friend who's a big Lord of the Rings fan. And I vaguely remember this conversation. Guys, please don't judge me. So I, I have seen Lord of the Rings. I seen the trilogy years ago and it's i liked it it's just not one of the movies i've returned to over and over again like a lot of my right. friends do once again not because i didn't like it i just have it for whatever reason but is it owen eowyn 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 thank you so i didn't know i didn't remember exactly what we said i do remember that the line was katie did not like the line i am no man i am no and man i couldn't which remember is, if it was also in the books or if the movie added it it is in the books but the book is the book is slightly different and it's but no living man i am you look upon a woman which makes sense if it's a book because there's not a visual storytelling aspect it's totally fine it's in the book it should not have been the movie it was enough just i think it's very so i did have a lord of the rings fan who listens to the podcast her friend stephanie she was like by the way i'm a huge lord of the rings fan and i did just want to let you guys know and i was like that's good to know because i never read the books Hey y'all, N.R. Moody here from the editing desk. Just wanted to cut in as a Tolkien fan and kind of just speak towards the line, I am no man. The reason why this line is in the movie is because Eowyn is disguised as one of the Rohirrim. She was told by her father that she is to stay home during the big battle and watch the women and children, even though she wanted to be on the battlefield fighting. So to me, it was kind of a big deal because uh, she had cross-dressed as one of the fighters and was fighting right there alongside the men the reason that she told the witcher king that she was no man was sort of similar to how Macduff comes up to Macbeth and uh, reveals to him that he was born of a c-section and so he was able to fulfill the prophecy that no one of woman born would cause harm to him the witch king was also prophesied to never be harmed by a man and so it was just kind of a big moment in Tolkien lore uh, to have such a strong woman go and be able to complete this prophecy even though she was told that she was supposed to stay home anyway here we go back to the program you'll enjoy anyways we should start talking about master now that we've we, we segued on, on, on not our sidetrack so we're gonna keep on keeping on we're talking about master yes so master is currently available on amazon prime it premiered at the like we said in the beginning at the sundance film festival on january 21st of this year it was also screened at south by southwest in march and then amazon scooped it up for distribution on prime video that went live march 18th 2022 i probably mentioned it in march or april because you i did. know i watched it the same week it came out because i was very excited about it because i was reading a list of things premiering at sundance and it was very high on the list as well as honk for jesus save your soul which is coming out this the next couple weeks i think it's coming out this week which is another regina hall movie that's more of a comedy about a mega church pastor and his wife played by regina hall that lose their congregation and try to get it back by honking at cars i don't know it looked funny anyways college master in case you're confused by the title of course it's kind of a double entendre because obviously master is something people associate with 
slavery days because, you know, a lot of slaves would call their owner master. And so that's obviously part of it. But the other part of it is that, and this is not what happens at any colleges I've ever been a part of. I think it's more of a New England kind of thing. And like, and it's a more of a British tradition. But a college master, according to Wikipedia, is a role more generically called head of house or head of college, which is what our school had is the head or senior member of a college within a collegiate university, principally in the United Kingdom. And the actual title of head of colleges varies widely between institutions. I know at Montevallo, we have had the College of Business, College of Fine Arts, College of Education, College of Music, etc. And I think liberal arts as well. And each college had its own dean. We had deans instead of masters. And then the school itself had a, has a president. So we didn't have masters, but I think they fulfilled the same role as deans, basically. So that's where that's coming from, because I was like, why is it called master? And then they kept calling her master. I was like, is this a real thing? And I was like, oh, it is. Interesting. It's very, very New England. Very old-timey academia. Ivy League. Ivy League, yes. Which, this is filmed on Vassar College campus in Poughkeepsie, which they started production in March 2020, unfortunately, because then they had to pause for a year and resume in 2021, thanks to COVID. But that's why it got released in January of this year. Um, But yes, it's very Ivy League. Ancaster College is not a real college, but it's based on, like, it's, I think it's basically based on Vassar. Although Vassar was a predominantly, I think it was an all-girls school originally, right? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it was, which Montevallo was too, where we went to school. Mm-hmm. They didn't have men until like the 70s, <laughs> I think. Yes, I think, I think that's right. I think it was like the 60s or 70s, yeah. But this this school isn't all female. Do you want to talk about the creative team a little bit? I actually didn't really. I wrote down everything about the actors as well as like the kind of backstory. Okay. I wrote down a couple things. So this was written and directed by Mariama I believe it's Diallo. I have not heard anyone say mm-hmm. her last name, but that's how I'm going to say it. Please correct us if we're wrong. So she directed the horror comedy short Hair Wolf, which is available on YouTube on the Short of the Week YouTube channel. It's a very funny comedic satire on race relations where this white girl, where they nickname her Count Becula because her name's probably Becky, keeps asking to touch this black woman's hair. And then she like comes to their salon like a zombie. He's like, braids, I want braids. And then she starts turning all of the main girl's friends, who I believe is played by the woman who plays Sasha in this movie. Yes, I did look it up. Okay, because I was like, I, but they have, like, she has a very unique hairstyle. It's very beautiful in the short. And I was like trying to, to, think she looks very different in both of them anyways it's a very funny little short though i really liked it and the cinematography is great which it's also done by the cinematographer of this movie whose name is charlotte hornsby i think the cinematography in this movie is beautiful too but diallo kind of based this on her own experience in college like we said in the intro in a video for sundance a meet the director she mentions that like when she looks back at her college years she has a lot of really good memories a lot of fond memories but like as an adult now she looks back and she like just feels this kind of and I'm paraphrasing but this undercurrent of kind of having to deny her own identity to fit in with her classmates which I think 
this movie really illustrates that well because there are a lot of very well-meaning white people in this movie that really don't mean to have microaggressions, but they don't listen to the person who tells them, like the black person who tells them, hey, you're not getting it. Like, you're not seeing what's in front of you. Like, you're not actually doing the work. You're just kind of like appearing like you're doing the work and that's not cool. And I think it's something a lot of us white people have had to figure out is like, sometimes I think that I'm being super like supportive and shit and then someone calls me on something that I didn't know was offensive or I didn't know was like a microaggression. I'm like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. But the thing is, I think the point of this movie is to like grow and change with that. Well, she also said, sorry, so uh, she's like, you know, her mom was in academic work and obviously she went to Ivy school. Yale is like a very big deal, obviously. Yeah. And she said she wanted to talk about the burden that a lot of us feel is placed on us. And so she's like, there's a gratitude to reach this level of attainment that's been denied to so many people like you. So she was very, like, open like that. But she's like, when you get there, there's this loneliness and there's this isolation. Mm -hmm. And the message of this is a privilege to be here is a burdenous message because it's a very heavy mantle for someone to take on, especially a young person to take on. So when you have, like, people of color go to these, like, huge historical schools that are stuck in their ways, they often are hurting the very students that are, like, going there with their histories. It's like they think that they add students to add diversity but they don't think about changing their ways so it makes it more welcoming yeah. you know and just being more open and understanding and I mean the good thing is that a lot of colleges like there are specific student unions like there's black student unions I know our campus had one I think it's, I think a lot of white people assume that if you go to the black student union you don't fraternize with your white classmates that's so not true but I feel like you do need a home at college and you need to feel welcome and understood and if that's what you need it's like they have a lot of like again we went to a liberal arts college in a very red state but it's a very liberal college and we had like you know we had I think it was called spectrum which was like an lgbtq plus yeah. like association as well you know other people join the young democrats the young republicans you know people join different clubs or like a gaming club or something yeah it depends what you need i thought it was very interesting so she did an interview with harper's bazaar that i got a lot of my information from and she said you know when she went to yell there was these like historical beautiful stained glass windows um in the cafeteria eating area but one of the windows depicted like slaves carrying bells of like i guess hey oh that's awkward and so it was a very big like back and forth with the faculty and students how this was inappropriate and she said finally someone in the middle of the night just shattered <gasps> the window damn yeah. and she's like so she's like it was very interesting to her that like someone had to finally bring about the change with that kind of action right and she said in retrospect she didn't she wish she was like involved like in bringing about changes because at Yale they no longer have the term of master and that just happened recently like in the last two years wow so she said you know I she She's like, I wish there, like, I had been more involved in that. And I think it's very interesting because Jasmine is definitely, like, a stand-in for who she was in right. a lot of ways. Yeah, she is. And her master is just weird, even without the slavery connotations. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to call anyone master. Anyways. And, of course, I think we mentioned before Regina Hall, executive produced this as well. She's got such a long list of of just amazing achievements in acting. I did find it interesting on her IMDb. She does a lot of volunteer work. 
That's cool. And her, like, with her mom and stuff, she's very involved with her mom still. And she goes to, like, retirement communities and volunteers actively. And she's just, I don't know. I've always liked her because she was in the Scary Movie movies as Brenda Meeks. And she mostly does comedic work. At least that's what she's known for. But I think she started branching out in more dramatic roles, which I think is great because she is really good. I think she's pretty pitch perfect in this film. Also, when she was talking with The Atlantic in an interview... She referred to, like, they were asking about drama versus comedies. And she made the reference to beats, like, in the script. She's like, I think you take the beats maybe a little differently. Um, And I was like, oh, my God, she's definitely a theater person because she says beats. But that's all I really had on the production crew because since the director is also the writer, um, it was mostly about her. And then Regina Hall. And I really like Charlotte Hornsby's cinematography. I just didn't find a lot of information on her personally. She's in a lot of short films, including Lucia before and after and Harrowoff. But I think the cinematography is really great in this movie. And she's a really good cinematographer. So, yeah, I think we're probably ready to move on to the synopsis then. Yeah. If you haven't watched Master yet, it's on Amazon Prime Video. And Amazon bought the rights to it. So it'll probably be on there forever unless someone else buys the rights to it. So, you can check it out if you have not seen it yet. This is your spoiler warning, okay? So, okay, synopsis. As the first black master of Ancaster College takes her place among the collegiate elite, a young black student is haunted by visions of witches and the subtle microaggressions of her classmates and faculty. That's all I'm gonna give you, because we're gonna get into heavy spoilers, because I will say this movie was pretty normal for me up until a certain point, and then I went, what the fuck? And that's one of the reasons why I want to cover it, because there's a very interesting hook in this movie. Um, But we'll get to that. And I've actually, I've arranged it, they have chapters for each part of this movie. Yes. Marked by quotes. Um, so the first chapter is called, Can Someone Clean That Up, Please? So as we said, at the historic New England and Castor College, which again, filmed on Vassar College campus, the school's first black master, Gail Bishop, played by Regina Hall, moves into the prestigious Belleville House Master's Building. And I will let you talk about her. As we know, Regina Hall, we uh, all know her kind of as Brenda from the Scary Movie franchise, but she's been in a bunch of stuff. More recently, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which Katie mentioned. Girls Trip, which I haven't seen, but I've actually heard a lot of really good things about as far as Mm -hmm. comedy. Uh, Think Like a Man, The Hate You Give Little. So, like, that's just a few of her movies. But she She, has I forgot she was in Allie McBeal, like, the last two seasons of it, and Love and Basketball. Oh! Which is a very big late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, I can't remember exactly when that movie came out. But, like, when we were teenagers or yeah. middle schoolers, yeah, it came teenagers, out. Yeah, So, across campus, we have the ambitious but nervous Tacoma-based freshman Jasmine Moore, played by Zoe Renee. Yeah, and so Zoe Renee, like a few people we talked about recently, is set to appear in the upcoming The Hunger Games prequel, The Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. She was also in Goalie, Nancy Drew in The Hidden Staircase, and the TV series The Quad. She was also in the 2018 film Jin. So I think Jin was her first time playing like a leading role and this is like her second leading role. And I think Nancy during the Hidden Staircase was with the girl who plays the little Beverly. girl Beverly Bev- on yeah. the It the first movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. blanking on her name but I saw her. So like so like a bunch of tween actors in that movie. Yeah. So Jasmine gets greeted by the housing staff and they basically make a big deal that she's in like the quote unquote room and she goes in 
into room 302 along with her white roommate, Amelia. Yeah, and Amelia is played by Talia Ryder. Uh, she was in the Sundance film Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which I actually heard a lot of things about. Me so too. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I was like, I know that movie actually. Uh, she was Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between was her other movie. And she also played a supporting character, Tessie, in West Side Story, which I thought you maybe remembered who Tessie was because I sure did it. I think Tessie is just one of the Jet girlfriends. Okay, so she is. I don't think she's one of the main ones that have mine. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering my West Side Story, I think. I was going to say real quick, she is about to be in the upcoming Netflix film Do Revenge, which stars Maya Hawk and Camila Mendez. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And I've oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. I've yeah, seen the, the trailer and- for that. Also, she played Hortensia in Matilda on Broadway. She originated that role on Broadway. Oh, nice. So the freshmen are greeted by Gail, who welcomes them in by me- mentioning legends and explains how prestigious the school is and she delves into the legend of margaret is it millet or miller okay it's millet yeah okay um millet was a woman who lived on the grounds that the campus now stands on and was hanged for witchcraft during the puritan days this school is supposedly as old as the salem witch trials or close to that and is in massachusetts so um she assures the students are going to be okay and she says something kind of haunting but i think it's supposed to be reassuring is that you can't return home anymore because you can't go backwards you know you'll return home as a visitor which kind of makes sense and she welcomes them and reminds them that they start the semester with a campus-wide primal scream Mm -hmm. which i don't know if they do that at yale but i thought that was both cool and really scary if you aren't aware that the semester is starting just here hundreds of students if not thousands just screaming. In the social circle, Amelia seems to have like a built-in circle of friends because she has a lot of former classmates and like club mates who are like social, like New England socialites. Yeah. In Cressida. Yeah. She's the weirdest British name. Katie and Libby. Libby's not in it as much as Katie and Cressida is, but I named all of them. Yeah. So Cressida is played by Ellen Hunt, who is Anna and Anna in the Apocalypse, which has been Mm -hmm. on our list for a while. Yes. Ellie Marson in the TV series Cult Feet, Cat and Cat and the Band, Sue Gilbert in the Apple TV series Dickinson, which I was like, oh, okay. I've heard it's really good because it's about yeah. Emma Dickinson. Yeah. And her maybe affair with her friend? I thought, I think Sue may be the friend if I'm I think not she might be the friend. Because was she engaged to, she was engaged or married to Emily's brother, if I'm not mistaken. But she'll also start in the upcoming film Lady Chatterley's Lover, which I know is a yeah. very old novel that's like erotic. So that's interesting. I wonder yeah. if we'll get And she's a singer too. Ah, she had a bunch of music videos on her IMDb. Uh, Noah Fisher as Katie. She played Marcel Ratner in Uncut Gems, who I believe is the daughter of Adam Sandler's main character, Howard Ratner. Uh, She also was in the film Dashcam. And last but not least, Anna Von Patten as Libby. She appeared in TV series such as Law & Order, Special Victims Unit, FBI, and Gossip Girl. So she has a lot of, like, TV credits to her IMDb. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so Jasmine's a little less sure. Because, you know, she's traveled from Tacoma, Washington. That's a very long way to travel. So she doesn't really have a built-in friend group. She kind of just feels like she's on the peripheral of their friend group. Like she's there, but she's not. But it also doesn't help that she's black and everyone else is white. And so like it just adds another layer of awkwardness when they all already know each other. It doesn't seem like, I will say, it doesn't seem like Amelia's racially profiling Jasmine. At least at first. The other girls are kind of bitches. But Amelia does seem to like when they first meet seem to be pretty nice uh, at least like in first glance i feel like she seems to be probably the most welcoming and they probably are okay friends 
as being roommates. But to kind of fit in, they're talking about, they're playing Never Have I Ever. And she says, someone says Never Have I Ever accident like peed my my pants and she tells a really funny story about how she sleepwalks and one time when she was spending the night at her friend's house she sleepwalked all the way into the laundry room and peed not only her pants but everyone else's because she thought the washer was the toilet but yeah so they and then they seem to like laugh and like they're like oh okay so like she's kind of made friends meanwhile gail is painted for her master portrait and like the home that she lives in as the master of her college um which i believe is the english department every like she she looks up into the attic and there's these like creepy little servant spells that keep ringing and she like looks into like the pictures and it's all these like old white dudes and their families who were the former masters and then like there's a black maid in the background looking like very separated from everyone else and it kind of does a really good transition into jasmine at the lunchroom because like and this was kind of true at our school too is like the cafeteria staff are predominantly black and they're very friendly to all of the other students but for some reason like this one lady in particular just does not seem to like jasmine and jasmine feels really alienated and i some of it is like is it perception they kind of blur that line with jasmine whether it's anxiety or someone really is that racist towards her and i think it's a good way to do it because i think i felt a lot of similarities to jasmine although i haven't been racially profiled at school and haven't really experienced racism but the whole fish out of water starting school and not knowing everybody and feeling awkward i really like i connected with that and i feel like a lot of people probably can with her because she does a very good job of just acting like a person you would know or yourself going through it. Yeah. But yeah, and then she sees this portrait turn into a skeleton really briefly. It's yeah. It's kind of the first creepy moment. So uh, Jasmine walks in on Amelia and some of Amelia's friends getting high in their bedroom. And she meets Tyler. Will Hotchman. Yeah, so played Joe Hill in 10 episodes of Blue Bloods. Yeah, so I was like, oh, Blue Bloods. That's, uh, that's something. He also was in The Greatest Beer Run Ever, which I think is a movie that's about to come out with Zac uh-huh. Efron, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and this is like kind of a little bit of an uncomfortable moment. Once again, it's like I don't think the kids are meaning to be malicious, but it's kind of like a little hurtful, a little hateful because yeah. they start asking they're, they're, he's, Tyler is like, who are you? And she's like, well, guess. And he's like, oh, Beyonce. And then they're like, oh, Lizzle. So they start saying like a bunch of like black celebrities. Like, again, they're trying to be funny, but yeah. like, it's what, especially it's, it's a bit of a microaggression that they're unaware that they're doing. And that's the whole point of microaggressions is like, you're not really aware you're doing it. And I feel like people need to have it pointed out to them. And if you don't fix it after it's been pointed out to you, then you're the problem. Yeah. And so him and uh, his other friend, Nikki, who's played by John Croft, started a couple of episodes, I guess, of Red Oaks, was also an episode of the Andy Warhol Diaries and Ambition. They talk about how someone died in the room. They're like, yeah, someone killed themselves in your guys' room 302. And the 1950s and then they start talking about another girl named treasure who jumped out of the window saying this happens at 333 because that's when the witch comes to take them to hell and yeah. they're obviously making light of the situation but jasmine seems a little like bothered yeah by it, well also which, they say that her. the witch picks someone every 
year. Yeah. And it's usually someone from that room. And they say like if they don't accidentally hurt themselves jumping out the window or something worse happens, they quit school or transfer or something because of the stress. Then we meet popular teacher and tenure applicant Liv Beckman. Yeah, and Liv is played by Amber Gray, who of Amber course Gray. is best known for originating the role Persephone in Hades Town. Yes, she's great. Yeah, she is a she's phenomenal. Yeah, and basically she's just giving a lecture on the Scarlet Letter, and obviously there's like a little bit of tension because like Jasmine says something because Hester's daughter is named Pearl on the Scarlet Letter, and she's like, oh, you know, Pearl was a symbolism of like purity. She's like oh so whiteness was purity and she was like yeah well back in the day that's what they considered it yeah and, I and think she says the crystal. color white yeah. specifically she yeah. says the color white and yeah. i think still today people associate the color white with purity when people get baptized they usually wear like a or white wedding dresses dress. or wedding white, dresses usually. yeah yeah but basically she's saying that hester Prynne represents people of color and pearl is the white woman getting them down at least cressida suggests Mm -hmm. that and lives like absolutely and i was just like and Liv is is a black woman too by the way that's important to the plot she and gail are like some of like the only two black women professors Mm -hmm. in that department and they're pretty good friends but like basically she tells jasmine like she's got a reductive and rudimentary theory and jasmine's like okay this was fucking awkward and she's very smart so like she's very like she feels i would feel insulted too yeah frankly it's almost like she's lives punching bag yeah it's like definitely that like she brings up a good point but it's not good enough for live or it's not what live is looking for so she dismisses right. it but that night we do see gail has a party at her house which is like hosting all the formal masters yes. including by brian and deandra bruce altman plays brian he has over him. 150 imbd credits i thought it was funny because the first thing that i saw that i was like i recognize that is 50 shades darker and 50 shades free which i've never seen and he's also uh in ozark blue bloods and orange is the new black but he has a lot of tv credits also i love the the lady who plays deandra i did not know some of her like hollywood trivia that was so cool yeah because she has 109 imbd credits and so she was in dallas uh or sorry she was dallas in the tv series divorce which i knew was the one with sarah jessica parker that came out just a couple years and ago. And the guy from Sideways. Oh, yeah. And I always blank on his name, but Thomas, I really like Thomas him. Thomas Hayden Christensen? Thank right? you. Yeah. Thomas Hayden Church. Charles Church. Hayden Church. Thank you. Hayden Church. That's right. Uh, she was also in Z, The Beginning of Everything, Mona Sterling and Mad Men. She was also in The Good Wife Elementary, Homeland, and Nurse Jackie. So another, another really impressive IMBD for sure. But yeah, she's having the party and she finds a freaking, and I'm saying this word because I don't know how else to describe this object, but it's a quote unquote mammy cookie jar. Yeah. If you don't know. It's a caricature. Mem- yeah. It's a caricature of a black woman. Very much like Aunt Jemima was, but I think they're worse than Aunt Jemima ever was, honestly. It just looks like Mammy, the character from Gone with the Wind, but they're all over the place. But she gets really overwhelmed because like that and she's just and everyone just keeps talking about how she's the first black master and they're just like, oh my god, it's you're gonna be Barack Obama. And it's like, okay... I think they mean, and they're like, well, we mean president of the school, but who knows? And it's like, they're just kind of laying it on thick. 
Yeah. But I think like we said before, Liv and Gail are friends because they're like the only women of color on campus. Or at least the only ones in their department. And she goes over to Liv's house. And this is very awkward because Gail's trying to explain why she's feeling alienated. And Liv just loudly, not loudly, but she's just like matter of fact, like, oh, because you felt like a house N-word. Only she says the word. And I was like, oh, oh my. And that's kind of the reaction Gail has. She's like, um... No, that's that's not really why. But then she kind of just like ignores it and is like, oh, I gotta go. Bye. Meanwhile, Jasmine is getting completely used by her friends. So yeah, it's also at this scene, Jasmine visits the library. And when she visits the library, she sees the portrait of Margaret Millet. So the pizza thing happens first. And basically like, and this is something like, I feel like people did this to me in college too. Where you're like, oh, I'll pick up the pizza and you expect them to pay you back. And then Mm -hmm. they all like start gaslighting you and they're just like, ah. And Amelia casually mentions that she and Tyler are dating, but quote unquote not dating. Because quote unquote dating is a lot. And I'm like, if you can't date and go to school at the same time, there's something wrong with your brain because you should be able to have a relationship and have a job or go to school at the same time. You need to figure out why you can't do both at the same time. Or it's a relationship you don't need to be a part of. And you do see in Gail's class that she takes a softer approach and more encouraging approach to teaching than Liv on the whole. And that's where you meet Sasha because she's um, talking to another male, a white male classmate. And they're talking about, I looked this up because I was curious because they mentioned the title and this has to be the book they're talking about. It's called Disgrace by J.M. Coetzee and it's a Nobel winning book but it sounds horribly depressing and to further racial stereotypes but it was written in South Africa and I believe the 70s or 80s and she's talking about how like this author kind of focuses on the plague of white men and she says that he's being i love this phrase faux woke and i was like thank you and sasha's played by kara young of course uh was known for hair wolf which is the short that katie was talking about mm-hmm. uh the punisher and other people's people just to name a few things but she and also staircase. was yeah she was jasmine in the staircase oh she was in after yang too which i keep meaning to watch oh this, yeah but then there's an awkward encounter with the school librarian and Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. So yeah, I just, I, so what it was is the way this movie is filmed, it got me off because it's like, Gail hosts the party. Then it goes to Jasmine with the pizza scene. Then Gail goes to see right. Liv. So that's why I was right. like, back I and caught, forth and back yeah. and forth. Yeah, it does that. Yeah. So it juxtapositions Gail and Jasmine's struggles, like consistently, it'll yeah. show one than the other. Yeah. Um, So while visiting the library, Jasmine notices a portrait of Margaret Millet. Uh, and she's having like a casual conversation with the librarian. But when she goes through the door, the beeper goes off and which happens so she's like oh you know this happens every time but this is taking it too far the librarian has her come it's back so awkward i know and then goes for her bag which is entirely yeah. inappropriate and you can kind of tell the librarian she's like double thinking that she probably doesn't have to but then it's like she's she just like i don't know why she feels she has to check her backpack but she does it's like it's all friendly until she's like oh can i check your backpack yeah and like and it's so awkward and then you can tell the librarian regrets it afterwards and then and she does apologize but it's still like why did you feel like you needed to check her back yeah and jasmine of course is really sad because she's like it's okay i understand it's like jasmine brushes it off probably because she realizes if she makes a scene it's going to become even more of a thing yes because there is this like thing and i've had a few friends who are black tell me this that like they feel like they have to control their emotional state around white people especially because if they lose their temper people are going to assume that they're violent yeah because they just it's a stereotype and 
it's very hurtful. And I feel like a lot of black people put up with shit like this because they're like, well, I'd rather not have the police called on me for getting losing my temper. Meanwhile, white Karens all over the world are just screeching at people. Which, that night at 3.33, I did like this scene was very creepy. So yeah. we see a hand reach out from under Jasmine's bed and it scratches her arm. And Jasmine, like, it's like, we don't realize the way it's filmed. It's actually like a dream. But she gets up, looks underneath the bed, and then she, Amelia calls her name and she turns around and it's broad daylight. And Amelia's like, I said your name multiple times. And Jasmine's like, was I sleepwalking? And Amelia naturally is like, I can't handle this and walks away. But it's like the first kind of, she sees the mark on her arm. So it's like, yeah. is she scratching? The witch has marked her. Is yeah. What she thinks. And that brings us to chapter two, which is I hate you. Okay, so Jasmine, which I noticed that she changed her hairstyle at some point between chapter one and chapter two where she has relaxed her very natural hairstyle which I thought was a really nice touch of production to show how she's trying to fit in with her classmates um and she meets with Liv who tells her that although she's made a lot of effort on her paper that she wrote about the scarlet letter she completely ignored the critical race analysis and Jasmine insists that there's not really a race analysis in the scarlet letter because everybody in the book is white so it's kind of like pulling it out of thin air to make that critical race analysis which i get where jasmine's coming from and uh lives just like <laughs> is like oh well i know it's really hard to adjust such like a tough school and basically implies that jasmine is like a disenfranchised girl from you know quote unquote the hood and jasmine's like i'm from the fucking suburbs and i was classified auditorium and you don't even know me and gail prepares a speech about inclusion at her home, meanwhile, and she finds a maggot infestation in her house, which is very creepy and gross. And Jasmine starts researching even further into Ancaster's first black student, Louisa Weeks, who um, apparently died in room 302, and she tragically seems to have taken her own life by hanging and it's very sad jasmine continues to have strange waking nightmares of this black cloaked person and um like she's getting out of the shower and she thinks she sees the person and it's just like a towel but there's also like like a letter that says like do not leave hair on sink it's disgusting and there's like a clump of like natural hair and so she takes her hair with her which i'm like i would do that too and then then she finds out that Liv gave cressida who basically was spitting out nonsense for this Scarlet Letter paper, a B plus, and she gives Jasmine an F. See me. Does to me seem that Liv is maybe targeting Jasmine. Maybe she's looking too much into it, but I think in one way or another she's being targeted. So she goes to Gail, who reads the paper and also agrees that Jasmine's writing is great. But, you know, she was like, well, I'm really sorry about that. Maybe you should ask Liv for extra credit. And, like, she's like, don't take the grades personally. Like, I know it's really hard, but, like, it's, like, it's not personal. And Jasmine's like, it really feels personal with a specific teacher. And I'm going to formally file a dis against this grade, which we find out that Liv is up for tenure and this is going to affect her tenure position application because when they go to the tenure board meeting that a bunch of the board members that we've already met are a part of this board, including Gail. Like, they're kind of on the fence about Liv. Like, half of the teachers are like, well, she hasn't published a lot, but all the students love her and she's very popular. She's also a woman of color and on a campus that is predominantly white, so it would be a really good thing to have her diversity but Deandra is like yeah but she's only published like one article and she hasn't written a book and Gail 
because she's fond of Liv, she's her friend, you know, at first is trying to kind of speak up for her, but then she admits, she's like, well, I mean, I'd written two books and too many papers to count before I got tenure, so I do kind of have some reservations about Liv getting tenure, and also, like, the fact that she's having a great dispute, and they're like, oh, the great dispute, so then they kind of, like, dismiss, and I, did you, I thought this was a joke. The first time I watched it, I was like, what? Um, because, like, one of the teachers is like oh yeah they have african dance class so we better move the tables and i was like who in like an all-white faculty i'm assuming gail and liv are not teaching african dance classes who's teaching the african dance classes i want to see that class in that white school i'm sorry i just want to see some white bitch be like yeah african dance so Gail's also getting these weird phone calls from a woman who claims to be called Esther Bickert and who wants to speak to someone about her daughter Elizabeth, but Gail's like, you have the wrong house, bye. And she keeps going up to her attic when she, like, hears those, like, servant bells going off because, like, the window's open. And there's some really, like, weird racist drawings of black men in the papers upstairs it's just very like inhospitable to gail like it's like you think they can it's like when she finds the cookie jar it's just really inhospitable and like not cool and then she looks at her portrait that's finished and there's maggots coming out of it which is really it's gross and nasty and so she ends up sleeping on liv's fold-out bed while they fumigate and Liv is like talking about how like oh I never had sleepovers because I was the only child and Gail's like me too and then Liv's like I really want tenure because like I've moved around a lot and I really want to make this my home and then we have this like the weirdest party scene so Jasmine goes to a party and it starts out that a totally racist frat boy racially profiles her and her friends go in and he's like oh we're at capacity and I was like are you fucking kidding me and luckily like Katie comes back out and is like she's like come on Jasmine and so she pulls her back in they let her in and she's having a good time dancing but there's the most aggressive moment because like she's like almost the only black person dancing and a song called I had to look the song up because Mo I did not know this one yeah. Mobamba by Sheck West yeah which mostly just has a lot of curse words especially the n-word and these white children are just screaming the n-word and at first I thought it was kind of humorous and stupid and then they're almost shouting it at her and it's very aggressive and like the lights are red and it's very terrifying. I really like this scene because it's like so horrific because it's casually Mm -hmm. horrific like it's not like they're not being violent or physically intimidating but they're like they don't realize or maybe they do that's the thing it's like either they don't realize or they do how hurtful it is to Jasmine as the only black person in the room but I can't tell you when we were younger how many white young men I knew that they would never say the n-word but if it was a rap song suddenly it was okay for them to do it and they would do right. it and i'm like it's not it right in the song but it's very aggressive and very scary and so she obviously is like like i would be she's kind of like okay this is enough i'm gonna go into this room and she's trying to find like a chaser and she's kind of off in a room away from the party and tyler runs into her and i don't know about you but i especially the second time i watched it, i was like oh tyler's into jasmine oh yeah like I don't think he really cares. I think the reason he and Amelia aren't quote-unquote dating is because he really doesn't like her that much. And it's just convenient. I don't know if he... I don't even know how far he and Amelia are going, honestly. Because if they're not dating, 
they might just be hanging out, you know. So, because they're not boyfriend and girlfriend, but they are hanging out before. He talks to her. He tells her that she's cute and that he spent a semester in Russia. So he's trying to teach her how to drink like a Russian. And he's like, you're really cute. And then they kiss. And of course, Amelia walks in. And okay, I know that it's not the best thing to kiss your roommate's crush, but again, they weren't boyfriend-girlfriend. It's college, and if you really felt that strongly about him, you probably should have not been like, oh, we're dating, but not dating. You should have been like, listen, we're not dating, but I really want to date him, and I would really be hurt if you kissed him. Communication is the key, everybody, for any healthy relationship. So Jasmine walks home alone because she feels bad, and Tyler goes after Amelia. He's like, oh, shit. And she sees this person in a black cloak and the next thing she knows she wakes up abruptly to gail banging on her door and she's like what happened she's like what do you mean and someone's carved the word leave onto her dorm room door amelia is nowhere to be found and there's a noose hanging off the doorknob i'm sorry i didn't mean to sound so excited about noose i was like there's a noose and gail kind of interviews amelia and jasmine about the door incident and amelia's like i didn't even come to the door which i don't know i i'm on the fence about amelia I think the first time I watched this, I was like, bullshit. But after watching it a second time, I think maybe Amelia is telling the truth. I do think she's actually innocent in this situation. Yeah. Because I think Amelia's kind of a scapegoat until you finish the movie and then you're like, oh. But as they, like, go back to their dorm and start, like, getting ready for bed, uh, Amelia's just like, I hate you to Jasmine. Which, I, I mean, she's hurt. I don't think she really hates Jasmine, but I think she's just hurt. And that's where we come to chapter three, which is that's what's coming. And we see Gail and Liv jogging and they're kind of discussing everything going on. And, like, Liv's kind of blaming Jasmine's stress on the grade dispute and being kind of selfish about it, in my opinion. And they almost run into this group of seemingly Amish people. Perhaps Mennonites. I'm not really sure. But definitely a community like that. And Jasmine has a very creepy dream where she's like following a tour in her own dorm room. And then they end up at her room. And one of them is like, what's that? And the guy, the tour guide's like, oh, that's a black student sleeping. And then it's Jasmine. Jasmine's watching herself. And the witch crawls through the window with these big long nails and puts a noose around her neck. And of course she wakes up screaming. And the tour guide says before she wakes up, when the person asks, like, what's that? He's like, oh, that's what's coming. And referring to the witch. And this was, okay, this also kind of reverberated back to my, like, people, black people being not able to, like, express their feelings without white people being terrified for some reason. Because, like, Jasmine wakes up and obviously she's, like, screaming. And then, like, Amelia's, like, really, like, frightened and apologetic. She's like, I'm sorry, I just... You were yelling and I was just trying to help. And it's like, I feel kind of bad for Amelia too. Like, I feel like both of them are just in a bad place. Because she does, like, I do think Amelia means well. Even if she's guilty of some shit. I do think, but she's kind of scared of Jasmine. I think that's more of a perception kind of thing. Just an illustration. And then Jasmine goes even deeper and starts finding the diary of Louisa Weeks who had died in her room. And then Gail goes on a jog. So uh, Gail witnesses the 17th century people because they just they call them that they're just like there's a group of people that still dress up like they're the 17th century 
they perform a funeral and she's walking through the wood and she sees two men run off and I've watching this two times I still can't get a clear view of who the men are um so I don't think it's like Tyler and Nikki I do, I don't yeah. think it's Tyler yeah no I know the either. first guy definitely isn't the second guy you get far less of him yeah but I don't think it is yeah I don't think it's any character we've been introduced to in the film I couldn't find the screenplay I looked because yeah. that was the part I was most curious about <laughs> But yeah. I don't think it's Tyler. But she finds Amelia alone in the woods and she's crying and apologetic. And so Gil takes her back to her house and she offers to walk her back to... Or she offers to walk her to the infirmary, the infirmary. Tree, Yeah, when she's ready. And she's like, no, I can't do that again. And she also, you know, she's like, well, let me at least go back to your dorm room, get some clothes. And she's like, no, Jasmine locks it from the inside. She's a bitch. I hate this yeah. place. I also think that it's important to note that she basically implies to Amelia that you may have been raped. Yeah, but she does it in such and a great Amelia way. And Amelia says, I don't want it. I know what happens. I don't want to go through this again. Yeah, I love and the way like, Gail handles this though because Gail, yeah. because she can see that maybe Amelia doesn't want to accept a sexual assault. So she's like, well, let's right. get you checked because you could have frostbite. It was freezing out there. So she's really trying to get her to like at least go to be a salmon without being like, you were assaulted. We need to get you over there now. Right, but Amelia's like, it sounds like Amelia's been assaulted before. Yeah, exactly. She says, I, I know what happens. I, I'll, I'll leave. I just don't want to deal with it again. And yeah. she also says that I hate this room. Yeah, I hate I this hate place. I hate that room. Yeah. And she says room. I think even if the witch isn't real, I, I think that room is not a healthy room. I don't know if there's black mold or some weird barometric pressure or lead or something, but I don't think it bodes well for people who live in that dorm because I think it's kind of beyond Amelia and Jasmine's control. And Gail does go to the dorm, like you were saying. She offers to go get some clothes for her and she does go to there and the picture of jasmine has been scratched out and i kept trying to look at it it kind of looks like a racist caricature has been drawn over her face but it's kind of hard to tell from the screen i was watching was i imagining that or was it just scratched out i didn't see that it just looked scratched out on my end but now i'm curious if i could zoom in if i could see that or not i watched it the second time on my phone so (laughs) so i was like i was like is that it kind of looked like a weird racist caricature, like a really big like minstrel show mouth. Mm-hmm. But I could be imagining it. But Gail does at least make a copy for evidence because now they're thinking like someone on campus is definitely targeting black students. And so that brings us to chapter four, which is now more than ever. So Jasmine does run into Liv and Jasmine, she tells, well, Jasmine tells Liv, she's like, I'm not going home over Thanksgiving break because Liv's Mm -hmm. like, oh, where are you going? And Liv's like, okay, well, that sucks. And she says she's going to New York. Her friends are going to fix like a dinner. And I think she says something like, oh, collard greens and candy yams, which I don't know the way she says it's weird to me. There's so many ways that they write her character that I don't leave so many things up in the air because it's laying it on thick. Yeah. Like she says girl in a very weird way. Yeah. Like, like, not in a very natural sound. And she says word. Yeah. And I'm like. Like oversaturated almost. Yeah. yeah. Nobody says word anymore. Yeah. And Liv's like, you know, I just don't want you to think there's anything awkward between us. So, you know, like Liv is trying to reassure Jasmine, like there's nothing awkward between us. But Jasmine gets back to her room and Amelia leaves and she's like leaving, leaving, like she's dropping out of school. And she packs up her things and she goes and Jasmine has this moment where she like tries to speak to her, but the words just can't come out. And just so Amelia just leaves. So she's alone in that room now. Yeah. 
which yeah. is even more terrifying. Um, we do find out, though, Jasmine is lying to her mom because she calls her mom and she's like, everything's fine. And my roommate actually invited me home for Thanksgiving. So, you know, so it's like, why Jasmine's lying? We don't know. But that night in the building, Jasmine thinks she sees a figure in the darkness before mm-hmm. the fire alarm sounds. And she goes outside and there's a burning cross outside. Yeah, and she's mm-hmm. also been like, before she sees that, she's been nervously scratching her mm-hmm. finger. Like, I do this too where I pick at my thumb and it's bleeding too. Mm. So, like, things are getting to her. But yeah, yeah, there's a burning cross. And then Gail's like, get back and is calling the fire department. And then we see this diversity ad for I am Ancaster. And, like, it's Liv and Gail and, like, only students of minority groups. And they're all like, we denounce discrimination. And we are the Ancaster Alliance for an Inclusive Future, which is IFE. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, I get the commentary. It's like, okay, you say that you're against discrimination, but what are you doing to actually do it? Like, I get it. Yeah. And then we go to chapter five, which is called It's Everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so Jasmine is obviously like, that is t- kind of scary. And she's she's feeling this dress even more. And she's washing her hangnail, which is still bleeding, in the bathroom when she's approached by Sasha um, from Gail's class. And Sasha is one of the only other black students on campus. And she kind of is like asking Jasmine, like, how's it going? And she's like, it's been really hard. She actually opens up to Sasha and she just tells her, like, it's been hard. And Sasha's like, you know, in my first semester, I had insomnia so bad that I thought my lamp was a gnome. Yeah. And so Jasmine feels comfortable saying, like, I've been having, like, the worst nightmares. And Sasha gives her a flyer for the AFAM house, which is, like, their black student union. And she gives her a hug. And then Cressida and Katie join them in the bathroom are kind of like, who the fuck was that? And Sasha's like, you're not wrong. Yeah. And she just kind of assures her. And they kind of dismiss the flyer and Katie says something about like, oh, people tried to get me to join like a Jewish club too. Like, uh, it's like propaganda. When it's like, well, but if it helps, you know, to have support, I think it's good. But obviously they just think it's stupid because they haven't experienced that. So they really don't know what is happening. And then we see Liv at her 10-year interview. And this is when, oh, this is when I really started like thinking Liv was, mm. Yeah. they take... Note that Liv did publish an article, um, and they're like, Oh, but are you gonna do a book? She's like, Well, I'm still in like the note gathering phase, and DeAndre's kind of not having it. Um, but Gail's kind of trying to throw Liv a bone, and she's like, Well, maybe you can explain the issue at the center of this gray dispute, which is has still not been resolved. And instead of like explaining her point, she changes directions like a gaslighter mm-hmm. and points out that, you know, the real problem is this campus and how there's like racist people terrorizing students and they should be focusing on that, not a grade dispute. And she blames them for not protecting the students and undermining teachers of color. And it kind of fades into Gail scrubbing the floors and here of her house and then hearing the servant's bell ringing again and then she comes in and she sees like all of these papers flying around and she has a vision of a black servant in the corner of a room in there like a kitchen it looked like and she's like crying and then she gets another phone call which we don't hear what the phone call is but i can assume it's esther again yeah and then i love that they changed jasmine's hair is now back to being natural because she had been like relaxing it straightening it for a while to kind of more like fit in it's kind of a visual yeah representation of her trying to fit in i thought that was a really good visual help um visual key um, so she stays after closing in the library, 
which their library is like open till 2 a.m., which I feel like ours is only open that late finals week, but okay. And she notices that Louisa, whose diary she's been reading, had a lot of migraines before her death and couldn't sleep and kept having a nightmare of the witch dragging chains. And she tries to call Katie, but she doesn't pick up, so she walks home alone. And she again sees a figure in a black cloak and runs to Gail's house, but Gail isn't home or answering. So she runs to the dorms and... Okay, this is the one question I have. Is like, she has, like, an actual, like, physical key. What college campus doesn't have key cards? Yeah. That was weird. But anyways, she does get into the dorm. But then she gets into her room, and someone's at the door rattling the handle. And so she tries to climb out of the window to escape, and she slips and falls. Yeah. And, and the time is 3.32. Like, you at, see 32. Yeah, three- Yeah, it turns into 3.33 as she's falling, I think. Yeah. And so she breaks her arm, and she's in the hospital. Gail is there when she wakes up. And this is, like, so she basically tells Jasmine that, like, she went through the same issues in college being the only black student in her class, and it was really scary, and it was really hard, but she persevered, and you can too, Jasmine. And, like, on the surface, that's a really good thing to encourage someone, but sometimes the best thing you can do is let somebody walk away from a tough situation, at least temporarily. And, like, Gail's like, well, I did. It's kind of like when people are like, well, life was hard when I was a kid, so you can get through it too. It's like, but it doesn't have to be that hard. Yeah. Like, we can grow and change the society and not make people go through all the shit we went through. And she, Jasmine kind of expresses that she needs to get out of there, and she's very obviously like referring to room 302, but Gail assumes that she means the college, so she's like, no, 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 you should stay. And then there's a scene straight out of Suspiria where, like, her roommate has, like, a like a silhouette behind a curtain, much like the creepy witch in the original Suspiria, and it's this elderly lady, and Jasmine tries to help her, but when she like tries to reassure her and be like, hey, let's get you some help and puts her hand on her shoulder. She's like, she tells her to take her quote unquote black hand off of her. And then she's like, this is my house. And you see the creepy witch in the hospital hallway. I, always, I actually said the witch break dances in the hall because I still can't figure out what Tight. the what, witch was doing in the hall. I don't know. I think maybe it was supposed to be like, it's probably actually the janitor, but Jasmine's envisioning it being the witch because of her mental state at this point. Yeah. And it's interesting because she takes like a ride chair back to campus. Probably just left, which that's awful. And um, she runs into Liv. And okay, this hmm, so Liv tells her like, oh, it might not be the best idea like to be back at campus so soon. Does Gail know you're here? But then like, she doesn't actually stop her. And Jasmine's just like, well, I understand now. And it doesn't matter where I'm going because it's everywhere. And it's like, oh no. Because Gail had said like, racism is everywhere. It's in America. It's everywhere. And I will say like, I would say if this that sentence was written differently, I probably would think it was really over the top. But the way it's written is very, like, believable and honest and doesn't seem over the top. It just seems like Gail's just like, I mean, racism's everywhere, and unfortunately it's something you have to find a solution for, but you're not going to escape it moving. But she doesn't really realize that Jasmine is more talking about being haunted by a witch. Well, the thing that also, like, bothers me too with with Liv in this scene is as an adult, if there's a child I thought could be in any kind of emotional trouble, I would text the other adult. Like, I would be like, yeah. Gail, uh, do you know Jasmine's back on campus? Um, I'm a little yeah. worried. 
And yeah. judging by what happens next, I do not think that happened. Right. I was like, and apparently doesn't call Gail because Gail's walking through campus at night and, she, and they're doing the primal scream thing because it's the end of the semester. And she sees Jasmine's light is on. She's like, Jasmine. And so she goes to her room and because she's the, the dorm head, she has the key and she unfortunately finds that Jasmine has died by hanging and it's really sad and gail kind of takes it upon herself to like quietly pack up all of jasmine's things which i really thought she was going to pass away when she fell out the window yeah and it almost made it worse that she died the way she did because it's like oh my god like she was almost free like she was almost okay and um because i think the first time i watched it, i was like oh my god yeah. And then, like, she just had a broken arm. I was like, oh, okay, she's gonna be okay. And then she was not. But it's, like, interesting because Gail, like, looks at her Scarlet Letter copy. And, like, she has so many notes in there. Like, she obviously worked really hard on that essay. And she notices all of her friends who signed her high school yearbook. And it just, like, seems like she had so much going for her. And it's really, really depressing. And I'm, I'm gonna say college is hard. And there's a reason there's free counseling on most college campuses because it's a lot and it's really hard and there's unfortunately a very high suicide rate among students and I don't think there's a college campus that that hasn't touched it. Yeah. Unfortunately. So if you need help, get help. And if you know someone that needs help, please help them. Please be their lifeline. And I was about to say, the next scene I thought was interesting because a candlelight like visual is held. Yes. Which this is chapter six. I'm not going anywhere, which is the last chapter. And live at the candlelight vigil is almost performative. Yeah. Like, and maybe not. At this point, I was like, I don't know. Maybe Gail is very upset, though. Yeah. And that's what she talks to Liv. And she's obviously, like, torn up because you can tell she's been crying. And she's like, you know, Liv, it must be hard for you because we should be celebrating you because you've gotten tenured. So now we know the resolution of that. And so, you know, Gail starts to say something. And she's like, you know, when my brother and... Or no, sorry, Liv starts to say something. She's like, you know, it's like with my brother. And Gail's like, I thought you were only child. And she's like, oh, you know, I also say I'm an orphan. Those people aren't my family anymore. It's weird because because she was like, I didn't get to have sleepovers because I was an only child. And I was like, like, what? "Mm, Does not compute. Yeah. But Gail gets another call and decides to meet with this Esther lady Mm because she says, oh, you might know my daughter as Liv. Yeah. And, okay, this is the part that I was like, what the? I love that they went here, honestly, because definitely a pop culture reference. If you know, you know. But Esther turns out to be a member of the 17th century, perhaps Amish community. And she meets Gail at this diner and she shows her a picture of Liv as a child and she calls her Elizabeth. And she's like, oh, she ran away. And the next time I heard about her, she was pretending to be black. And Gail's like, excuse me? Well, Gail's like, you know, Gail very quickly puts it together because she's so light-skinned, too. She's like, well, what about her father? And right. she's like, no, Esther's like, no, her father, God rest his soul, wasn't black. And so, and Gail does take the, what well, I think is like the high road. She's like, I think this is an issue between you and Liv. Right. And she she mentioned something about, like, well, the devil must be forcing Liv to lie. And I just thought you should know the truth. And Gail's just kind of, like, thrown for a loop. And the only thing, and they do visually tell this by showing, like, a newspaper article about Liv's promotion. Because, like, in her mind, she's like, I mean, the only thing I can think of why she would lie is so she can have accolades becoming a successful woman of color. Yeah. Something she maybe wouldn't have been able to achieve if she was a white woman, or at least she 
presumed she wouldn't be able to achieve. Yeah. And Gail is just shaken and angry. And this is, she goes to Liv's tenure party and it's like everything the white faculty members say is just twinged with like this new light of microaggressions. Like Deandre opens the door, she's like, oh, thank God you're here. You can add some flavor. And it's like, okay. It's like, I don't think Deandre's trying to be racist, but it's like the connotation of it is just like, oh, Maybe don't put it that way. And then Liv is like, Gail, come over and help me DJ. Let's Ugh. teach these white people how to DJ. And she, like, the song that she puts on immediately has the N-word. And I looked up the song. I forgot to write it down. I think it was by City Girls. And it was just like, okay. Like, it's a lot. And Gail is trying very nicely to just be like, hey, Liv, can I talk to you? And she's like, hold on. She's like, I need to talk to you. And it's like, finally, she's just like, Liv. You're a fucking liar. And Liv's like, excuse me? And she just kind of confronts her in front of the whole faculty. And she's like, I met your mom tonight. And everyone's like, Gail, calm down. And she's like, fuck you. (laughs) It's great. And this one lady's like, this very, like, faux woke lady is just like, like, oh my god. You don't have to prove your blackness to us. And then Gail's like, fuck you. And she's like, oh, okay. And then Gail's like, oh, okay, exactly. And I was like, huh, that, was, I, that part made me laugh. But she basically tells her, she's like, Liv has been pretending to be a black person. And the only reason you gave her tenure was because a black girl died. And she basically like, it's just a really good speech where she's just like, you're so separated from reality that you're blind to like what's black and what's white and you don't really even see the racism around you. And she notes that it's like a ghost and you can never see it. You can't prove it, but it's always there. And uh, she blames herself and the school for Jasmine's death. And she's like, I could have helped her. We could have helped her, but I, I should have let her leave, and I didn't. And she then is like, she's like, I'm not even the master. I feel like the maid that I was sent to clean up all your diversity issues in this school. And she didn't. she's just disappointed that she didn't change anything and that she failed Jasmine. And she kind of goes into another room to cool off. Liv follows her. And, uh, do you want to tell this part or should I? So, you know, she she basically confronts her. She's like, you didn't have to do this in front of all of our co-workers. And she's like, but you're lying. Which, Gail tried not to. Yeah. And she asked, like, three times. Yeah. By the way, Liv. And Liv's like, you know, and, because Gail's like, you're white. And Liv is like, is that what she's telling you? She's made me feel like I was going to go to hell my life my whole life because I'm the bastard daughter of a black man. And, you know, she basically, as she's leaving, she tells Gail, she's like, you didn't have to live my life. But she puts on this black cloak with this black hood that looks suspiciously like what was following Jasmine around campus. Yes. And also, she says, it doesn't have to make sense because it's not your story. Yeah. And I'm like, it kind of has to make sense. Yeah. Live. And yeah, and it's like, Oh, I think she was the Black Cloak Cooper. Which, again, maybe she's telling the truth about her heritage. Maybe she's not. But it's very Rachel Dole's all of her. And this is what drives me crazy, though. Is so, they were very purposeful in the casting. Because Amber Gray does identify as biracial. And she does look yeah. like she's biracial. And there's no interviews with her. Because I would be very interested to see her take on what she has to say about this character. Like, how she felt. Well, I wonder if they're like, don't talk about it. Yeah. Because they don't want to spoil it. Because this was the part where I was like... Holy fucking Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. Like, holy shit. But 
I do like the way they portray this character because she might not be lying, but I think she definitely chased Jasmine through the woods and faked a bunch of hate crimes. Anyways, the other professors, like, are trying to reassure Gail that they understand, and they're just like, oh, it's just been a really stressful semester. I'm like, yeah, a student died. Like, that's underwhelming. And, like, Gail kind of, like, as she's kind of half-heartedly listening to their excuses, she sees the different, like, white masters of the school in photos, and then she sees them kind of, like, in the party, and she's just like... I don't know if she's really seeing it or she's just imagining it, but she's just like, things are never going to change. And she just kind of is like, bye. And she doesn't tell anyone she's quitting. She just kind of leaves. But as she's walking through campus, the security guard racially profiles her and is like, oh, can I get some? Because there's like, over the radio, it's like, suspicious woman walking on campus. And I'm like, why is she suspicious? Like, she's very well-dressed. Why? I guess you can be well-dressed and be suspicious. I'm just saying, like, she doesn't look suspicious to me. He asked her for ID if she works here, and she's like, no, I don't work here anymore. And we end with her walking, leaving campus to Nina Simone's I Shall Be Released, which is great. Any Nina Simone song is great, but it's a great song to end on, and that's the end of the movie. That's it. That was a long movie. I'm so sorry. Like, there's a lot to delve into with that. And we, we discussed a lot of the things while we were going through it, um, but... Before we go on to ratings, do you have any final thoughts, Britt? Yeah. Anything we didn't get to cover? So I actually have a few different cons with this movie. I will try to make it quick because it's late. Uh, But I have a few things. So we don't really get to know Jasmine's character. I understand that in a lot of ways, um, Jasmine is like a stand-in for Mariana. So maybe she's filling in the blanks that we don't see as an audience because it is so loosely uh to her life like it's like her they're very similar um but i don't understand so even from the beginning of the movie when you know gail's giving the speech about not going home again jasmine smiles like she has this i like she's like she seems like happy and it made me feel like i was waiting for the shoe to drop that she came from like an abusive household or something but then you find out she's like valedictorian and she has all these friends and her mom's concerned about her but it's like why isn't she phoning home why doesn't she it seem like she wants to go home? So there's a few different mysteries that I felt like really weren't fleshed out with Jasmine. See, I thought the valedictorian thing told us all we needed to know because I think she's an overachiever and she feels a lot of internal pressure to make her family proud and make all of her friends proud. And so her family's great and loving, but it's not enough for her because she feels like she's not doing I could get that as far as like her being concerned about her grades and fighting live about that grade but not calling home and because she feels like she's failing them and she'd rather avoid yeah talking to them than admit that she's failing yeah I think that's what's going on to me yeah. that's what I got um and it, I also that but I get what you're saying, too. Yeah, it's also... But that's what I got. I keep seeing this referred to as a horror film. I don't really... I know that's what it was intended to be. And I know when she wrote the film, she strictly fought horror. And when she directed it, she tried to direct the scenes in a very natural way. So I do kind of like how she had that juxtaposition for herself. So there is, like, this underlying kind of, like, horror element. But I have a very hard time calling this a horror film in a traditional sense because, to me, it wasn't scary. Um, feels uneven. Um, 
Hmm. Like the film, it creeped me out a lot. Like the film feels really uneven. I think there was so much that she explored that there was a lot of questions that and. Don't get me wrong, not every single question has to be answered in a film. I'm not saying that. It's good to have a bit of mystery, but I felt like for me there was a lot more questions than there was answers. So I'm like, if the horror elements, let's say the horror elements weren't real, and it was really Liv terrorizing Jasmine, and maybe Jasmine had like some kind of mental illness on top of it, why was Gail also experiencing the horror elements of the film? So those were the kind of things that I just could not I understand. I think maybe the campus is haunted, but... Liv is feeding into that and making it worse than it would be. Because I don't know if you've ever been in, like, a dorm room that just feels wrong or a place that just feels wrong. And it's hard in a dorm because, like, you're stuck there. Especially yeah. if they're full. You know, if it's a school that has a waiting list, they're probably, the dorms are probably full, so she doesn't have anywhere to move. And so maybe it's more of that. Um, I personally felt really unsettled watching this movie the first time I watched it. Now, I watched it at night. With just me and Gizmo, the lights were turned off. But I felt seriously unsettled. And I didn't really get that the second or third time because I knew it was happening. But I got very unsettled and creeped out. And I hadn't in a very long time for a movie. So I actually did get unsettled by this movie. And I don't know why. Like the second and third time, I was more interested in the analysis of it. But I did. I also then watched Inside right afterwards. So it was just a night of unsettlement. Um... And I, I made a TikTok video about it because I literally couldn't go to sleep and turned on my ring light so I would have more light. Um, but I thought it was creepy. I don't think watching it the second and third time, it doesn't... Once you know what's going on vaguely, it's not as scary anymore. But the first time I saw it when I didn't know what was going on, I found it very scary. So I wouldn't call it an enduring horror, but I would call it like a drama with horror elements. Because I don't think you can put it in just the drama category because there is so much horror visions. Like, I, I don't know. I think marketing as horror is probably the best way for it. But I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it goes completely in horror. But it's definitely like, I, it's been given more the title of elevated horror. And not so much straight, slick horror. Because it, it's such a vast umbrella. Yeah. Too. Because, like, think about, like, Don't Look Now is not really horrific until it is, you know? There's a bunch of, like, weird things that go on, but you're not really sure what's happening. And then the end scene is straight horror, but it's not really like that the rest of the movie, I guess. That's what I was thinking of, because I just watched 100 Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments again. And I was like, yeah, that movie, like, is really a drama until it's not. But I guess this one doesn't really deliver on gore or terrifying stuff it's more creepy yeah but i think we were just talking about like how get out in my opinion is more creepy and less scary Mm -hmm. but the fact that it could happen is very scary but like the movie as a whole is more creepy and less jumpy and scary like we're used to with horror i don't know i think both i think your point's valid definitely but i for did feel unsettled. I don't, I can't explain it. Yeah. I was just very unsettled after watching this movie. And I was impressed by that. Also, the Rachel Dolezal subplot really got me. Because that was one of those news stories that I just was like, what the actual fuck? So. There is, I will say with that, I didn't, I didn't love it or hate 
that twist. Like, it was like, it was an interesting twist. It was an interesting direction to take the screenplay in. But I wonder, so there are a few things that maybe just how, like, cringy she does things every once in a while. Like, when she says things like word. But yeah. I feel like when she'd been more hindered, like, transitioning from a 17th century lifestyle too. Like, is there more other exactly. than, like, her... Like being that's why I think we don't really know. I don't think the movie tells us what it is, and I, I usually hate those kinds of open-ended things. But I kind of like it in this movie, you know. But I think either way, like I think there's an explanation for either way. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so much more terrifying because Gail's just like, I just have to leave because this is too fucked up. Because now she's like, if she's not lying, I've accused her of lying and embarrassed her and embarrassed myself. And if she is lying, then she's going to get away with it because these people aren't going to want to call her on it and look like they're being racists. So she's just like, I just need to cut ties. And she is released, like Nina Simone said. Um, But yeah, it's weird. Like, I liked it that it was different and it went there. And I think yeah. if anybody else had written this movie and directed it, it probably would come out as really cheesy and weird. But I think coming from the viewpoint of Mariama, I think makes it more believable. And it did happen in real life at least twice. So I just, I've never understood trying to like fake your race. Unless like you live in you know, slave days, like pre-abolitionist days, and you have to, so you aren't put into slavery. That's, or, uh, let's see, uh, pre-World War II Germany. That too. I get those, but I don't get the white people, like, I'm gonna pretend to be a different race. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, just fuck off. Anyway, but again, we don't know that Liv's lying. I I do think she was terrorizing Jasmine either way. I will say it's a very strong choice to cast a biracial actress because it she she does look like she's black. Yeah. So it's like that's where but Rachel Dolezal and I just watched Maya Rudolph's like interview where she was like everyone keeps telling me to play Rachel Dolezal but I've been off SNL for like seven years and I will say the more I looked at Rachel Dolezal's face the more I was like. Oh my god, Maya Rudolph does kind of look like her. She just has a yeah. slightly deeper skin tone. But it like, you know, race it's not as much of a construct as gender, but cultural parts of race, like your language, how yeah. you talk, your accent, and like how you dress is somewhat of a construct. So I think it is interesting. Like I get how culturally you could like identify with a different race if that's all of your friends are another race but like pretending that you're not yeah yours i feel like is a little dis is well it's very dishonest yeah i don't know it's a complicated issue because like you can't ignore that people are different races and that people are judged by the color of their skin in general in society um, it's, it's a fact, racism exists, and it's sucky, and, to say the least, and, like, I don't know, it's an interesting conversation that this movie brings up, at the very least, even if, like, yeah. 
It's not the... I don't know. It is believable because Rachel Dolezal did fool a bunch of people. Although, apparently, a lot of people were questioning it. Like... I will say... For a while. I did want to say, for all my cons, I did want to say with the pros, is that Regina Hall and So Renee really do give great performances. They do. I really, really do like them. The cinematography is beautiful. I like a lot of the ideas in the film. I like the discussion that the film evokes. I think there's great moments. Once again, I think the I think the dance floor scene is very terrifying and yeah. how realistic and how common that is. I just yeah. wish that the film was a little tighter. I think there was just so many ideas that I felt like there was a lot of loose ends yeah, it's, by the end of it's, it. Kind of slow moving, yeah. Also, but I feel like it's a better version of like the Black Coat's daughter, mixed in with like Get Out and a little Jacob's Ladder, because you don't really know what's real and what's not. Yeah. Um, because I feel like the Black Coat's daughter was harder to get through, because <laughs> it's very long, and even though it's very beautiful and it ha- it does deliver on some gore. It takes a long time. Both of his movies, a long time to get there. I need to see Gretel and Hansel or Hansel and Gretel, however it is, because maybe it's a little faster. But this movie, like, I think for a first feature film um, and that she wrote and directed, I think it's A-plus effort. And I think, I I can't wait for her to do more stuff because I I wish this one got a wider release because I think it is a really good movie. But I almost wonder if, like, the subject matter of the movie, they were afraid people wouldn't want to watch it. Because, like, the thing is, like, Get Out did a lot of stuff that this movie's talking about. It brought up a lot of these issues up. But Jordan Peele was already a household name. And I'm, I'm curious why they didn't try to release this more widely. Because I don't think it ever got a real theatrical release. It just played at two... Big film festivals, but film festivals, and then went to Amazon Prime. And, I mean, it was, you know, still kind of pandemic-y, but not really. So, I wish this movie had a bigger release, because I do feel like a lot of people probably would find some interesting stuff in this. But, um, that being said, I agree with you. I think really, really good effort. I want to see more from this director. And I'm really happy to see Regina Hall, especially in a dramatic role. I think she did an amazing job. I think Zoe Renee also did a really, really good job. And I really liked seeing Amber Gray, a Broadway and theater actress, or actor, I don't know uh, what she prefers, but um, in a movie, like a, like a big movie. It's not a big, big movie, but it's a big movie. Had a big release, and Amazon Prime bought the rights to it. So I'm, it's always, I'm, it's always fun to see like a musical theater person be in a movie and like do a really good job. Like the dad from 13 Reasons Why is, isn't it, is it Brian Darcy James? I always forget his name. Yeah, I think yes. that sounds right. Um, he's been in like every musical in the past like 15 years and I was like, oh my God. But like nobody else knows it because they don't, they're not a Broadway nerd like me. Um... But, well, you knew, but, like, non-theater people were like, oh, no, it's the dad from 13 Reasons Why. Anyways, I guess it's time to move on to ratings so we can get a move on it because it's late. Um, did you have a, an out of 10 rating, Britt? I did. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Okay, I gave it a 7.5. 
Because yeah. it did spook me. But I can't give it an eight because it is a little too long. It's it's a little long. It's a little. What's slow. weird? It's not that long though. Is it's just it like slow. What's, it's like an hour and forty two minutes or something? So we've <sighs> done longer movies. Because I think anything under two hours is not long. But it's I think not. it's the slow moving nature that makes it yeah. longer. But it's kind so. of like it kind of feels like a school semester too. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like thematically it moving slow makes sense. Yeah. But I also feel like. It's a harder sell to maybe someone who wouldn't necessarily be, like, interested in the subject matter, yeah. you know? Um, did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating? Yeah, so I rated it as for uh, Screams, Sleepwalking, and School Semesters. Okay. Yeah. I had an S as well. I had Salem, Slander, and Sleepwalking. And then, although Salem is just barely mentioned, so really not a big deal. And then, okay, I couldn't find a third W, but I really liked rated W for witches and whitewashing. And I was like, and wrestling with racism, but that's like a lot. Um, But my favorite one I did was rated M for masters, maggots, and microaggressions. I like the M a lot. The only thing is, is it okay to clue masters when the film is master? Would that be confusing? Oh, I don't, I like the M though. I don't think it's confusing. Okay. We could do maggots masters and microaggressions. Yeah. I guess Sorry. on that note, do you want to give a quick rundown of Spooktober and then say our goodnights? Yes. So for Spooktober, usually we would be picking a movie this week, mm-hmm. but we are going to be having we think two guests this Spooktober. Um which uh, we are hopefully having. Should I say who it is? Yeah, um, if we you want to, to, we have to figure out the exact dates we're recording. Still, as of like, we have dates. We just have to solidify which which weeks we're doing. It depends on their availability. But we should be having Armand from Syndicate that we were on two months ago. Yeah, it's been about two... Yeah, it was July, wasn't it? Yeah, I think July. it was July or August. And our first guest ever... Well, first guest, not first guest ever. Our first guest filmmaker ever, Jake... I always want to say Jake... Jo- Jolie, right? Jolly. Yeah, Jake Jolly. Jolly. Sorry, Jake. I'm bad at last names. Um, but Jake from Clay Zombies. Um, so they're each going to come on, and the plan is that they're going to bring a Halloween movie to talk about. And then in between those episodes, we'll be covering, like, some spooky Halloween and TV shows. You can list, like, our traditional list, but we'll be doing that for our sidetrack episodes. But yeah. we're still trying to figure out if the first week's going to be the movie or the second week's going to be the first movie episode. So we'll let you know um, soon. But we are also going to be on Syndicate again. And yes. so probably the last week of September, so the week after this episode airs, yes, um, we we'll probably won't have an episode, but hopefully we think that's the, the week Syndicate's going live. If not, you know, we'll either try to figure out a short version or we'll just have a little break because we're recording that episode in the last week of September's time slot. So, yes. because we're busy and we're sorry. We just can't record more than one episode a week because life. Um, but um, we're really excited because we had a lot of fun on Syndicate. And we had a really lot of fun with Jake, too. And 
uh, Clay Zombies is actually streaming on Tubi and Plexi. Yes. So we're going to kind of talk to Jake about getting your movie on the streaming services and um, how that journey's been. And I think we talked, whoa, we did, we, that was Spooktober last year, was Jake, too. It was, like, our first episode of Spooktober. So, if you haven't watched Clay Zombies yet, you know, don't touch the clay or you'll have a bad day, um, please watch it. Um, there's fur babies in it, and really funny, goofy action, and I'm really excited about it, because, um... Yeah, our some of our new podcast friends are going to be on it, Yay. and I think this will be fun. Maybe maybe this will be our new Halloween tradition. Instead of us picking a movie, we can have guests pick a movie. Yay! Um, but anyways, yeah. I guess with that, we're going to say good night because we've been recording for too long. Um, and just we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, register to vote if you haven't already. Um, even though a lot of people are still having heat waves and the people in Jackson, Mississippi don't have any water. So send them good vibes, prayers if you're into that stuff, um, and treat everyone the way you would want to be treated and vote for people who believe in bodily autonomy and, uh, free will. Um, but we love you guys. Thank you for listening. We can't wait to see Spooktober. Yeah, guys. It's um, the best time of the year. Uh, take care. Um, on that note, drink your water. This is a reminder. Stay hydrated. Um, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your fur babies. Uh, take care of our planet. Uh, that's a very important thing. I think people often forget that too. About. It's the only home we have. Um, so that being said, we love each and every one of you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Just uh, same spooky time, same spooky channel. Y'all stay spooky, y'all. Bye! Good night, good day, good morning. Everybody, bye, bye, Ryan. Thank you for editing. Sorry, we still on the Bye! Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.